Hello and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 46. Thanks for being here. Recording this at the tail end of Thanksgiving break, I am rejuvenated and fat and tired, frankly, which is the way all good vacations should end, I guess. We're headed into December, Christmas time is here, Hanukkah, uh, whatever you choose to celebrate or don't choose to celebrate. But it is definitely a change of seasons in the world, but not in the podcast, because we're here to talk about video games. In news this week, I don't really have any news, other than telling you what the calendar says. So let's jump right into this week's game. This week's game is... Space Invaders! Atari's classic 1980 port of the 1978 arcade game that is one of the granddaddies of arcade games. If you ask people of a certain age what Atari is, this is what they think of. It's kind of like how for certain people the only doctor or the most identifiable doctor from the long-running British science fiction TV show Doctor Who is Tom Baker, the one with the scarf. For those of you who don't know the name Tom Baker, you probably know the doctor with the scarf. Some people, when you asked about Atari, might remember Donkey Kong or Pong. Donkey Kong mainly because Mario's still lives on as a character in, you know, new games all the time, coming out all the time. I would also invite you to check out my comments about Donkey Kong and Mario in episodes 37 and 38 of Atari Bytes. But for a lot of people, when they think about Atari, they think about Pong or Donkey Kong, maybe Frogger, uh, and Space Invaders. If you show someone a t-shirt with the Space Invaders stuff on it, the little aliens and whatnot, people will recognize it, even if they haven't touched an Atari console in 30 years. So what do we have with this game? Looking at my manual, we are told to use our joysticks. We are told that the objective of Space Invaders is as follows. Each time you turn on Space Invaders you will be at war with enemies from space who are threatening the Earth. Your objective is to destroy these invaders by firing your laser cannon, in quotes. I'm picturing Dr. Evil there with his quotes, laser cannon. You must wipe out the invaders either before they reach the Earth bottom of the screen or before they hit you three times with their laser bombs. Really? No room for diplomacy there? It seems a little militant to me. I guess a game of sitting around a conference table negotiating a trade deal wouldn't be quite as compelling. So, moving on. Your long-term objective is to score as many points as possible. Points are scored each time you hit one of the space invaders they are worth different amounts of points, depending on their initial position on the screen. See scoring. If you destroy all 36 space invaders before they reach the Earth, a new set of invaders will appear on the screen. Each time the invaders are reset on the screen, they will start from a position closer to the Earth until they reach the closest position possible. The space invaders can be reset on the screen indefinitely during a game. Using the controllers. Move the joystick right or left to maneuver your laser cannon across the bottom of the screen. Do this to avoid being hit by the laser bombs, which the invaders will continually drop from the sky, and to aim your own laser beams. Sorry, laser beams. Air quotes. Each time your cannon is hit by one of the laser bombs, the game pauses temporarily, and the number of hits you have remaining is displayed at the bottom of the screen. Press the red controller button to fire your laser cannon. Each time you fire the cannon, you may not fire it again until you hit a target, or until the laser beam disappears off the top of the screen which is incredibly frustrating. I suppose it's akin to having to load your musket during the Revolutionary War or something, but it's very frustrating when you're pushing that little button on your controller and nothing's happening until 
your other really slow moving laser bomb hits a target. To press the game, select switch to choose the game you wish to play. This will take a while, by the way, because there are, I'm not kidding you, 112 possible games of Space Invaders on this cartridge. And countless, well not countless, it's 112, and 112 variations of one or two player, let's see, let me look at the little matrix chart thing. You have one or two player games, some with moving shields, some not, some with zigzagging bombs, some with fast bombs, some with invisible vader, uh, invaders, uh, on and on and on. I, I can assure you, I have never played all 112 combinations. If any of you have, let me know, and then tell me how you made all your money that allows you to spend this time playing 112 variations of Space Invaders. The Space Invaders move faster on the screen as their numbers decrease, making them more difficult to hit. The fastest speed occurs when only one invader remains on the screen. Since there are 112 game variations to Space Invaders, a quick look at the game matrix in the center of this instruction booklet is helpful when choosing or locating a game. Tell you what, I get confused. There are people who get confused. Not me, of course, but other people who get confused reading the menu board at a fast food place. There's no way that anybody's going to sit there with this game matrix and do the math. Okay, if I have this item, the, the invisible shields, with the fast-moving target, then I can do this thing with the two-player, and if I move my foot just this way, it tickles just the right spot or something. I, I don't know. It's weird. Difficulty switches. They control the size of the laser cannons on the screen. In the B position, the cannon is smaller, and therefore easier for the beginning player to use. In the A position, the cannon is twice as large, and therefore more susceptible to enemy fire. In one player game, use the left difficulty switch to control the size of the cannon. In two player games, the left player uses the left difficulty switch, and the right player uses the right difficulty switch to control the cannon size. Uh, next in the manual, we have that matrix with 112 game variations on it. Then we're told in general information, but now you know that you must hit and eliminate the space invaders before they reach the earth or bottom of the screen. You also know that you must evade their falling laser bombs in order to save the earth and keep the game going. Here are some other bits of information which will help you to play space invaders. Periodically during the game, the command alien ship will fly across the top of the screen. Well, that's what that blue thing was. Sometimes left to right, sometimes right to left. The command ship is worth 200 points whenever you hit it, which is considerably more than any other target. You will be pleased to know that the command ship does not drop laser bombs or anything else, and is therefore harmless to you and your laser cannon. The command ship is simply a bonus if you are able to hit it. it. Seems like if you hit the command ship, shouldn't the game be over then? Uh, be careful not to concentrate so much on hitting it that you get hit with an enemy laser bomb. In games C and D, the command ship is worth 100 points. Wah, wah. There are shields positioned on the screen between your laser cannon and the space invaders. At the outset, you are safe behind the shields. However, as you and the enemy hit the shields, they become damaged, allowing laser beams from your cannon and laser bombs from the enemy to pass through them. As the space invaders get close to the shields on their way to Earth, the shields disappear altogether. Remember, if the lowest space invaders reach the Earth, bottom of the screen, the game ends. The small lines or bars at the bottom of the screen, see screen diagram, indicate the farthest points to which you may move to the right or to the left careful not to get caught at the edge of these points when hemmed in by enemy fire. That's frustrating too, because the aliens can move farther to the left or right than you can. So you're over there trying to shoot them because you want to, in my opinion, you want to destroy them evenly. Destroy all of them on one line first so that you're shortening 
you're putting more distance between you and any of the aliens. But you can't always do that because they move over to the left or the right farther than you can reach them. It's very frustrating. Life is hard, people. There are several game variations programmed into Space Invaders. Again, check the game matrix for a specific breakdown of the variations for each game number. And then go check the want ads because you've probably been fired from your job for all the time it took to do that. The variations are intended to challenge the experienced player as well as to provide variety in general. Variations include, I think I mentioned this before, you get some of them have moving targets, or excuse me, moving shields. Some of them have zigzagging laser bombs. Some have fast laser bombs. Some have invisible invaders, which is kind of cool. I don't remember if I've played that variation or not. I will have to try that once I'm done recording. Note, when you're in the mood for a serious challenge, try game 16. Alright, I'm intrigued. Atari Space Invaders Manual. What is game 16? Let me look at the matrix. Alright, so game 16 is a one-player game. Wow, it looks like you got all this stuff. Moving shields, zigzagging bombs, fast bombs, and invisible invaders. Holy cow. Alright. Cancel dinner, family. I'm playing Space Invaders game 16 when we're done here. Um, there are one-player or two-player options. There are two opposing players taking alternate, tur uh, alternate turns variations. There are two opposing players competing at the same time variations. That particular variation has its own variation where sometimes you can take alternating shots. Sometimes you can control a common laser cannon. Sometimes you can alternate firing and control of the cannon. And on and on. Again, you know, ad infinitum variations. Scoring. The Space Invaders are worth 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, and 30 points in 1st through 6th rows, respectively. The point value of each target stays the same as it drops lower on the screen. Each complete set of Space Invaders is worth 630 points. Although scoring can be infinite, there is only room for 4 digits on the display, so the highest score any player will ever see on the screen is 29999. And then when the calendar hits the year 2000, the world ends, or something. Pretty sure we did that already. This does not represent the highest score possible, that 99.99, but rather the highest score that can be displayed on the screen. So if you hit 99.99, you might as well just call it a day. In a one-player game, the score is displayed at the top left side of the screen. In a two-player game, the left player scores on the left, the right player scores on the right. The score or scores disappear when the command alien ship fires across the screen, then reappear when the ship leaves the screen or is hit. That is how you play Space Invaders. I think I mentioned earlier that Space Invaders, maybe it was in the field report, Space Invaders was originally, of course, an arcade video game created by Tomohiro Nashikado, released in 1978, originally manufactured and sold by Taito in Japan, later licensed for production in the United States by Midway, a division of Bally. Space Invaders is one of the earliest shooting games, and the aim is to defeat ways of aliens, we know all that. Nishikado drew inspiration from popular media, such as Breakout, The War of the Worlds, and Star Wars, and to make this game, he had to design custom software and development tools. This was 1978, folks. A lot of this was groundbreaking stuff, even if it looks quaint and simple by today's standards. Space Invaders was one of the forerunners of modern video gaming, helped expand the video game industry. Like I was saying, people who haven't touched an Atari, or maybe never touched an Atari, haven't touched it in years and maybe never have, they still know Space Invaders. It was a an cultural icon, not just a gaming icon. Space Invaders was very successful from the beginning and inspired many other video games, has been re-released on numerous platforms, and had several sequels. The 1980 Atari 2600 version quadrupled the system's sales and became the first killer app, so to speak, for video game consoles. Space Invaders have been referenced, parody in multiple television shows, and been part of several video games and cultural expositions. The, the pixelated enemy alien, says Wikipedia, has become a pop culture icon, often used as a synecdoche representing video games as a whole. Nashikido worked on the game for a year, 
and developed the necessary hardware to produce it, as I said. I had various inspirations. I mentioned some of those. He was also inspired by an adaptation of the mechanical game Space Monsters, released by Taito in 1972, and also inspired by a dream about Japanese schoolchildren who are waiting for Santa Claus and are attacked by invading aliens. However, Nishikado has cited Atari's arcade game Breakout as his inspiration, and I can really see that in playing the game. His layout was similar to Breakout, but the game mechanics were different. Rather than bounce a ball to attack static objects, players are given the ability to fire projectiles at their own discretion to attack moving enemies. Nishikado looked at early enemy designs like tanks or combat planes and battleships, but he wasn't satisfied with the movements. Tentacle limitations made it difficult to simulate flying. Humans would have been easier to simulate, but Nishikido considered shooting them immoral. After seeing a magazine feature about Star Wars, he thought of using a space theme. Nishikado drew inspiration for the aliens from H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, specifically the 1953 film adaptation, and created initial bitmap images after the octopus-like aliens. Other alien designs were modeled after squids and crabs. I think I mentioned in the field report, there is one row of the aliens that look to me a lot like the Ood from Doctor Who, a row that looks like the Jim Parsons alien dude from the movie Home. Uh, there's a dude, the uh, row of dudes doing jumping jacks, uh, the aliens from the alien movies, something that I think is Qbert, and jellyfish. I'm pretty sure Nashikido was not inspired by any of those things, mostly because a lot of them didn't exist when he designed the game. But that's I'm I'm declaring it here on the podcast that that's what those things on screen are. Space Invaders was originally titled Space Monsters, inspired by a popular song in Japan at the time called Monster, but was changed to Space Invaders by Nashikido's superiors. Wah-wah. At the time, this game was developed, microcomputers in Japan were not powerful enough to com- perform the complex tasks involved in designing and programming Space Invaders, so he had to design his own software. I think we mentioned that before. I would encourage any of you computer techie type people to read this part of the Wikipedia article because it's very interesting. I won't read it all here, mostly because I'd just be reading words. I'm not a computer engineer by training or by hobby, so I'm not going to try to embarrass myself by sorting out any of the mechanical stuff. The game was first released as a cocktail table format with black and white graphics. The western release by Midway was in an upright cabinet. The upright cabinet uses strips of orange and green cellophane over the screen to simulate color graphics. The graphics are reflected onto a painted backdrop of a moon against a starry background. Later Japanese releases used rainbow-colored cellophane, such as TT Space Invaders in 1978, followed by a version with a full-color display. The cabinet artwork features large humanoid monsters not present in the game. Nashikido attributes this to the artist basing the designs on the original title, Space Monsters, rather than referring to the in-game graphics. I wonder how what he felt about that, because he made a point of saying he chose space aliens because he did not want his game to have humans that you would shoot. I wonder how he felt about the space monsters being humanoid in the game. Interesting. The music is very simple in the game, but at the time was revolutionary in the gaming industry. Some music video and video game experts have noted that Space Invaders was one of the first times that sound effects and music were superimposed onto the, the whole game to create sort of a landscape of its own. There's a quote here, not only do players receive feedback related directly to their actions through sound effects, they also receive stimulus in a more subtle, not interactive fashion through music. The music interacts with on-screen animation to influence the emotions of the player, and it popularized the music did the notion of variability, the idea that music can change in accordance with the ongoing narrative. 
the game was huge when it first came out in Japan. Some specialty arcades opened with nothing but Space Invaders cabinets. By the end of 1978, Taito had installed 100,000 machines and grossed over 600 million in Japan alone. Within two years, by 1980, Taito had sold over 300,000 Space Invaders machines in Japan, in addition to 60,000 in the United States. Prices ranged from 2,000 to 3,000 per machine within one year. The arcade cabinets have since become collector's items with cocktail and cabinet versions, cabaret versions, I should say, being the rarest. I'm going to be honest here and admit, I don't know what a cabaret version is. Uh, I could look it up, or one of you smart people could tweet at me and tell me what a cabaret version of an arcade game is. I get what the cocktail version is. I get what the cabinet is. Uh, I'm a little confused what the cabaret version is. By mid-1981, more than four billion quarters, or a billion dollars, had been grossed from Space Invaders machines, and it would continue to gross an average of $600 million a year through 1982, by which time it had grossed two billion and quarters equivalent to $7.27 billion in 2016. Net profit of $450 million, making it the, the best-selling video game and highest-grossing entertainment product of its time, with comparisons made to the then-highest-grossing film Star Wars, which had grossed $486 million in movie tickets, with a net profit of $175 million. The Atari 2600 version was the first official licensing of an arcade game and became the first killer app for video game consoles by quadrupling system sales. Two million units in its first year, on sale as a home console game, making it the first to sell a million cartridges. Other official imports of the game were made for the Atari 8-bit computer line and Atari 5200 console, released it for the NES in 1985 in Japan only, and numerous unofficial clones were made as well. Some people credited the game's success to ending the video game crash of 1977, which had earlier been caused by Pong clones flooding the market and beginning the golden age of video arcade games. In 2008, Dennis World Records listed the game as the top-rated arcade game in technical, creative, and cultural impact. Entertainment Weekly called it the one of the top ten games for Atari 2600 in 2013. In 2015, the World Game Video Game Hall of Fame selected Space Invaders as one of the initial finalists, as one of the finalists for its 2015 induction class. Space Invaders has been remade on numerous platforms and spawned many sequels. Releases included ported and updated versions of the original arcade game. For example, Space Invaders Extreme was released on Nintendo DS and PlayStation Portable. A spin-off for WiiWare, Space Invaders Get Even, allows players to control the aliens instead of the laser cannon. There was a pinball version of the game released by Bally Midway in 1980, but it wasn't really all that much like the arcade game. And the aliens in that case actually did look more like the xenomorphs from the film Alien, so I guess I wasn't completely wrong in my observation. Valley Midway was sued over the game's resemblance to designs by H.R. Geiger, and different ports have been met with mixed reactions. The Atari 2600 version was really successful, as we noted. The NES version, not so much. Several arcade sequels were released. The first was Space Invaders Part 2 in 1979. Later, they released Space Raiders, a third-person shooter reminiscent of Space Invaders. The game has been released in a number of compilations for various platforms. It's become grounded in popular culture, um, the pixelated alien graphics actually serving as an icon for video games in general sometimes. Um, basically, it's just a really popular game. So alright, so we got this really popular game that drew on a lot of different cultural inspirations from films to books to other games. There's got to be some rich story possibilities here, right? I certainly think so. Otherwise, this is going to be a very long podcast full of nothing. 
uh, I think after the break, we're going to do our field report, and then we're going to put this game to the test. Invasion, ahoy! Hey, back off, buddy. You're invading my space. Good. Stay over there. Hey, what's that? No, an invading army of spacemen! Come back, buddy! Come back! I don't want to be alone! Space Invaders is... Well, it's a classic, right? 1978. America and Japan's minds were blown. This thing. I'm looking at it now. Playing game one on difficulty B. So that it's easier to talk while I play. And I'm thinking, man, this is a slow game. So what have we got? We've got one, two, three, four, five, six lines of invaders moving really slowly and pooping on me apparently. Um, we got what do we got? We got jellyfish. We got Cubert. Got the aliens from the alien movies. We got jumping jack man. An ood from Doctor Who. And those aliens from that Jim Parsons animated movie, Home. While I was talking, I finished the game. There wasn't a whole lot to say about it. Uh, I shot some aliens. I didn't shoot the big blue thing floating across the top of the screen. But the aliens have invaded, so I probably only have a few seconds before my organs are harvested for study. So I guess it's back to you in the studio. Space Invaders belongs to the less is more school of gaming. Right? We, we've kind of mentioned that Although, the designer had to basically build new equipment to do some of the things he wanted to do with the game, by today's standards, it's pretty rudimentary, right? The aliens just sort of march across the screen. The graphics are pretty basic. There is the, you know, the sound effects and the music that kind of move and change throughout the game, which was new for the time, of course, but pretty simple game. The random shapes merging in lockstep formation into your laser fire is pretty simplistic. So let's take a minute to talk about military strategy. I'm no military historian. I'll be the first to admit that. But it seems to me that there have been huge segments of history that were really, really warlike, but with really, really not well thought out approaches to how you do your war making. Walking in a row into wading spears, swords, guns, laser fire just seems like a dumb idea. But for centuries, that's how warfare was done, right? You line your guys up. It pretty much was always guys once upon a time on one end of the field, and they line up all their guys on the other end of the field, and you just run at each other with your, you know, either with weapons ready, if it's like a sword or a spear, or, you know, firing your guns at each other as you go. Uh, basically just wiping each other out. It's inefficient, it's wasteful, it's a little disappointing that these advanced aliens from another planet came all the way here to invade us, but didn't come up with a better strategy. Frankly, as an oppressed human about to be enslaved by the alien overlords, I'm a little offended. Apparently, they are just now getting footage from ancient Spartan warrior battles beamed into outer space so long ago. Then they just went out and copied our outmoded mass suicide battle techniques, and I just think that's appalling. If you're going to come and blast me, put a little thought into it. Alright, so now is the portion of the episode where we have story time. 
This week's story is, Never You Mind What Pa Says, It Came From Outer Space. The setting, a farm in the 1950s, somewhere that farms are. A young girl sits on the front porch reading a comic book with a big clunky flashlight. A flash of movement over the farm catches her eye. Was it a plane? A meteor? Well, it probably wasn't Superman. Hey, Pa, she calls. Now we get to the rising action part of the story. Pa steps out under the porch in his long johns and a shotgun at the ready because you never know when the Ruskies are going to appear on the manure pit. He looks at his daughter reading a comic. Why are you reading the boys' comic magazine? It's the 50s, she says. Girls can do whatever they want to do. You're about 60 years early, girl. Don't matter anyway. I was going to whip the boy for wasting his fool head on that garbage. The girl doesn't have time for this, though, because there's something weird going on in the sky. Look over there, Pa. What's that, girl? A Russian Ilyushin IL-4? Now, the girl says, waving her comic book, We done been invaded. Pa glances at the comic book. The weird little tentacled space dudes on the cover do look a lot like the things flying overhead right now. But you can never be too sure about the Russians. They might be sneaky enough to dress up like tentacled space beings. Hell, they might even be tentacled space beings. Pa had never been more than four miles from the farm, so he really didn't know what people outside that area looked like. But it don't matter none, because the farm done been invaded, Pa's going to kick butt. He opened fire. His hands, his hands were usually shaky. Not everyone just to drink the good moonshine, you know. But with a gun in his hand, his aim was true. Row after row of would-be alien invaders marched forth, and row after row of alien invaders tasted earth lead. Pa was so good, he never even needed to reload. That was the big climax, big shootout. Falling action. Pa's cackle mingled with a smoker's cough to provide the medley, the melody for the sound of twisted alien metal as the alien ships, or perhaps the aliens themselves in armor, wasn't really clear, crashed to the ground. So finally, all was silent. The little girl went inside to find her Kodak and a flashbulb. Those nice men in the army uniforms down the road would want to see these. They said their club was over yonder, a small place, which she reckoned not a lot of members given how quiet things were over there in that, like, Area 51 or whatever they called it. While the little girl was off looking for the camera, Pa got a shovel and buried all the evidence of the aliens. Then he buried the shovel too, just to be safe. The evil empire in charge of those godless commie reconnaissance missions you know, the ones disguised as passenger planes flying overhead, as if ordinary folk would want to actually fly places. Well, they wouldn't find none of their hardware here, by God. No, sir. It all belongs to Uncle Sam now. Once everything was sufficiently hidden, Pa sat down and read his kid's comic book. It was pretty good, actually. Kind of entertaining. He was still going to have to whoop the boy, though. Just for cuz. Good night, 1950s. Good night, commies. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod and Competech.com for creative commonsies of his songs, Take a Chance, Reformat, and Pinball Spring. You can find Atari Bytes on iTunes, Stitcher, and many other places. Please, politely, invade the space of iTunes to rate and review. Email us at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook. Follow us on at Atari Bytes on Twitter, or follow me at Carnival of Glee. You can support the show financially on our Patreon page, or by buying stuff in our Zazzle.com store. Thanks very much for doing that. And don't forget to check out our other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. 
devoted to the adventures of Charlie Brown and Snoopy in all their animated glory. Also, it's the holiday season, so if you're in the mood, please do consider picking up my novel in the St. Nick of Time, a sort of Santa Claus story for adults. You can find it on Amazon.com or wherever you like to get your books. Thanks again for that as well. Next week on Atari Bytes, Skydiver. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.